morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. We are very happy and thankful that you're here with us. If you're a student, obviously you are already abandoning the ship. And bye, Keller. Have a good day, friend. Love you. Um, he heard his name. Ma'am? He heard his name. Well, of course he did. Um, dang, Robin. God is not immediate, predictable, or simple. Would you want a God less than that? Would you want a lesser God? Hmm. People do. And there are moments when I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, please remember on Thursday nights, we invite you to come and gather with, with Shirley and I at our house it's for been a great. Bible study. It's and, been uh, great. Y'all will pray with me that Fatty will turn his phone off. That would be a blessing. Um, and that would be a blessing. <laughs> um. We meet at 6 o'clock, and we try to be gone by 7, and we discuss a passage that I'll, if you'll text me or uh, email me, I'll, I'll send you the passage we're going to talk about so that you can engage, and, um, and then we'll, we try to spend the last little time praying for something very specific uh, in our lives, and... Um, it's been good. It's been real good. It's been better than good for me. And um, if you'd like to come and join us, you're very welcome to do so. Thursday night, 6 o'clock. Uh, was there something else I was supposed to say? Let's see here. No, I think that's it. Okay. All right. Pray with me. God of creation. God of Abraham, God of Moses, God of David. Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You tell us that if we will draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Whether we've been good this week or bad, walked on water or walked in the mud, whether we've read our Bible and prayed a lot or just watched a bunch of junk on TV, whether we're in a fight with our wife or mad at our kids, whether we've helped people or hurt people, you promise that if we will draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Would you please share with us the grace to draw near today? Please let it be so, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're talking about the authority of Jesus today. And what that means and why that matters or should matter to us. 
And where my mind immediately went was this idea of heroes. Um, I love heroes. Heroes are, they mean something to me. Um, well, I think we all, down deep, we were created to love heroes. I think we, you know, they're filled throughout literature and uh, art and music. Every great country song is a, probably about a hero. And um, movies, uh, my children uh, horrify me because their heroes are Ant-Man and Captain America and these goofball wannabe heroes uh, versus real heroes. Um, like John Wayne John and Clint Eastwood. Yeah, okay. Of course. Okay. <laughs> uh, of course. Now that, those are heroes. And um, yeah, um, that's, we're wired to want heroes. Literature um, has, um, you probably remember this from like your high school literature class, but there's a, in literature there's a hero cycle. And so all the stories, many of the sto good stories, many good stories, um, are built on that hero cycle. So you've got a person who sets out or has got a call perhaps, uh, uh, something to do, a quest, goes out on that quest, you know, takes the journey, starts the journey. Somewhere along the way, there's difficulty. There has to be difficulty, right? And, and, the, and the hero either, or the person either overcomes the difficulty with great strength and, 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 and courage and all, or does not. And if they can't overcome the difficulty, they're not really the hero. And then there's, as the circle goes around, then there's the redemption that comes after that. So we are accustomed to it. Yeah. Because it's in every, it's in our bones. It's in the very early stories that we've ever heard, this, this idea of the hero. And of course, what makes a hero is the person who then can be, can suffer the, the, the downfall and still stand back up and be redeemed or, or redeem. Or sacrifice his life. Maybe he doesn't, he's not able to stand back up, but right. a hero by definition is somebody that either wins through his strength and authority and skill and comes out on the other side victorious, or he sacrifices his life and doesn't come out on the other right. side victorious, but it ultimately leads to victory. You know, mm -hmm. does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think of, I don't know if y'all remember Tale of Two Cities, but I think of Sidney Carton and Tale of Two Cities who actually did that. He gave his, he looked like another person, um, kind of like a twin. And so he gave his life for that other person. So that person then could rise up from the depths. Mm. And so, yeah. Gave it, he, he gave his, he traded lives. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, play off that and say to you uh, without hesitation, stammer, or doubt, please understand that the New Testament would never describe Jesus Christ as a hero. He is not a hero. That is not who he is. The New Testament makes claims about Jesus that are utterly unique. No hero was ever described by others like the New Testament writers described Jesus, and no hero 
has ever described himself like Jesus described himself. No hero ever acted like Jesus. No hero ever talked like Jesus. And where this, where this lesson came from, <laughs> I was reading through my Bible, and last week, if you were with me, you, you, we read through Mark, or, or we were in Mark, but we were reading Mark 4 and 5. Man, that jumped out at me uh, just in such a fresh way. Just I, I, I read those two chapters about the life of Jesus. And I, I really was as designed by Mark. He wrote it so that this would happen to me and you. But I was left in awe. I was left amazed at Jesus' authority. His authority over storms, his authority over need, his authority over uh, demons, his authority over animals, his authority over illness, his authority over death. I mean, he, he walked through life on these dusty roads of Palestine, no hero has ever acted like Jesus. No hero has ever described himself the way Jesus described him. The New Testament writers were amazed at the authority of Jesus. And the New Testament writers wrote the New Testament with the purpose, the, the, the intentional purpose of leaving us amazed as well. I'm going to read this one of the most famous passages in the Bible. It's in Matthew 28. You can follow along if you want, but you don't have to. Uh, it's one of the, it's the, in fact, it's the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he went uh, to, back to be with the Father. It says in Matthew 28, I'll start in uh, verse, well, I'll just say in verse 17. When they, the disciples, saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them, the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Jesus says there that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I just, you know, I just spent <laughs> many, many hours this week pondering what that means when Jesus, those are the words of Jesus. That's not some spectator saying, giving their opinion. That's Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. And I think some of you have heard me say before, I had a seminary professor, and if he said it once, he said it a thousand times, he said, you know the definition of all. All means all, and that's all all means. Jesus says that all authority has been given to me. What does that mean? And I can't, I just, I, I've got three questions for us that I'd like for, the, for Shirley and I to try to answer. Um, what does it mean when it says 
that all authority has been given to Jesus. First question is, who gave Jesus this authority? Who gave Jesus this authority? So Matthew uh, says in, in chapter 11 of his book that all things have been created, uh, committed to me, Jesus, Jesus' voice, by the Father. Again, it's not somebody's opinion about Jesus. That's Jesus talking. It's his own voice. Yeah. I got this authority from my Father. John says the same thing, of course. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. So to your point about all, uh, I would think that everything would be kind of the no. same. It's either everything or it's not everything. So right. God has, the Father has placed everything in the hands of his Son. Um, John the next two are from John as well. John 13, uh, Jesus knew, Jesus understood who he was and that he had, the Father had put everything under his power. And then in John 17, the Father, Jesus says, the Father granted me authority over all people so I could give eternal life to all you've given me. So the authority... I mean, I do think it's very important, right, to, to know where the power came from and that, yes. that Jesus himself understood where it came from. Yes. It came from his Father. But the point being, authority over everything. Yes. Jesus declared, and I, we just put down four right. examples, where Jesus declared that he possessed all authority. And we're going to look at what that means and that it was given to him by his dad. And this is what the devil pushed against, of course. And so therefore, by the, mm. this is kind of off the page, but that's what, that's what Satan pushed against. And so then, because Adam and Eve, mm. and thus we followed that example, then that's what, that's what we push against. That there is, that's what we, humanity, uh, pushes against. That there is... One authority. We don't. And I think mind. it's significant that yeah. that's from the very beginning. Yeah. That's that's the push place. Yeah, we don't, and we don't mind him having some authority. We want some, but we want to know. But we would who's like a charge. vote. Yeah, we would like a vote, and he would declare that his father doesn't give me and you a vote. He possesses all authority. It's a little different. Difficult, perhaps, for democratic ears. I mean, let's just, yes. we're Westerners. It's, we are used to having a say. And this is no democracy. And it flies in the, in the face also of every other religion that existed in Jesus' day. There were lots of gods. And by definition, all gods have some authority. Regional authority. Local authority. The, the, there were gods over cities and there were gods over states and there were gods over countries and there were gods over mountains and oceans and sky gods. By definition, gods have authority. For one god to say, I possess all authority and I've given all of that authority to my son. That doesn't mean as much to us as it meant to those that read the New Testament. That was huge. So, what does this authority, all of this authority, include? What, is it, what does it cover? And let me, let me just sort of give you a little, a little starting off thing. Um, 
There is no hint in the New Testament that Jesus was given any authority, any specific area of authority that he did not utilize. It's not just that Jesus was given all this authority, but he only used some of it. I've got an iPhone right here. This is my phone. I probably, this thing's got a gazillion buttons on it. I use about four. I call people, I text people, I email people, and I write sermon ideas. <laughs> that's, I, do I do anything else? You do not. Yeah, that's about all I do with it. <laughs> I know that this thing has the potential for doing a gazillion things. Oh, like, like take pictures. This thing will take a picture. I don't take pictures. What would you take a picture of? I don't want to picture anything. So I, I don't take pictures. But I know it can. The Father didn't give Jesus any authority that he did not utilize and exercise. That's very important. Um, by example, the Bible says that Jesus was given authority over creation. He is the one in Genesis 1 and 2 that created everything. And it's not just that He created it. He sustains it. He manages it. He keeps it going. He didn't just create. You know, how many of us when we were young, we went out and bought something because we could barely get the money together to buy it. And then one day we realized, oh my gosh, now i got to maintain this deal. Now i got to keep it going. That's a whole other set of expenses. I had no, I'd have never bought it if I realized that i got to maintain it, right? Jesus didn't create anything that he was not ready and willing and able to sustain. Let me give you a couple of verses. Um... John 1, by Jesus Christ, all things were made by him, and without him, nothing exists. Hebrews 1, Jesus Christ sustains all things by his powerful word. Colossians 1, Jesus Christ holds all things together. Do you know what? Paul is saying in those two last verses. He's saying that if... You know something I learned about Jesus this week that I never realized? Jesus has never sneezed. Did you know that? Jesus has never sneezed. You know how I know that? I don't. Have you ever been driving down Poplar and all of a sudden the sun hits you in the face in just the right way and you've got to sneeze? And there are cars everywhere. And for a second, you're blind. Do you know if Jesus Christ ever sneezed, the universe would collapse? He's never, the Bible says he never sleeps. He never slumbers. And we think, oh, that's so nice. That means he's thinking about me and looking over me. And, you know, and that's true. But you know the reason Jesus doesn't sleep? Because he is sustaining Every molecule 
every electron, every neutron, every proton. He is literally, he did not create something and wind it up and let her go. That is not what he did. That's not what the Bible suggests. The Bible declares that he literally is actively involved in the, sustain, the, the, the sustaining and the controlling and the maintaining and the operating of everything that occurs in our universe. He has authority over the angels. Mm. Matthew 26 says, don't you know if I, this uh, Jesus' voice, don't you know if I ask, my Father will send legions of angels? Which is what great, they, great idea. Which is the, what they would have wanted, I think, at the crucifixion. That's when it would have made some sense to the, to the, the people, the believers, or the non-believers at the crucifixion, and he didn't do it. Just because he didn't do it doesn't mean he couldn't do it. That's exactly right. Anything else? He has authority over nature. Like Larry said, um, his very first miracle was changing one element to another element. He had the ability to do that. Um, he multiplied bread and fish. When you think about that for just one quick second, it's a great story, and we often see it in kids' books. You know, some cartoon people carrying around baskets of, you know, 12 cartoon men carrying around baskets of fish. You think about that for one quick second, that all these people were really hungry, and there was one little kid's lunch. Like you pack your little kid a lunch. And Jesus had authority over that and turned it into feeding thousands and thousands of people. He has authority over that. He has authority over the winds and the waves in Luke 8. Mm. Peace be still, he says. And it and obeys. Then it, it does. And obeys. He has authority in Matthew 10 over the birds. He has authority over disease mm. in Acts 10. He went around doing good and healing all manners of disease. It's in Acts 10. He went around doing good and healing all manner of disease. That's what the apostles declared about Jesus. And they were eyewitnesses of that. And I'll stop with this one. Um, he has authority over the devil. Mm. He has authority over Satan. Mark 1 teaches with a, he has authority even over the demons. That they have to ask. Like, it, like in the story of Job. Where they had to, Satan had to ask for permission. Yeah, we, Lord, I've heard people teach about Job. And it's the most missed, misunderstood um, the, the intent of the writer of Job was to communicate that the devil is a servant of God. Sir, oh, he's trying to attack us. You know, and all that. Satan had to come into the throne room of God. God, would you let me do something mean to your servant Job? And God said, I'll consider it. And I'm going to give you the stipulations and the boundaries and you'll not take one step further. There's a master in that story and there's a slave or a servant in that story. And that's what Joe wants. Many lessons there, I realize that. But don't miss who was subservient to who. It's very important. Um, it makes me think 
bear with me, um, probably the greatest movie of all time that John Wayne wasn't in was a movie called Tombstone. And, uh, I mean, it was a true, it was almost a perfect movie. I mean, it was incredible. And there's a character in that movie, and his name was Johnny T. And he was played by uh, Billy Bob Thornton. And Billy Bob Thornton thought he was big and bad and mean, and basically all he was was a bully. And he was slapping people around and screaming at people until Wyatt Earp walked into the room. And Wyatt Earp walked over and said, uh, what's going on here? And he, <laughs> um, uh, Johnny T tried to bow up on him, and when he did, Wyatt Earp reared back and slapped the crud out of him. And he said, are you going to do something or just stand there and bleed? And then Wyatt Earp grabbed him by the ear and took him to the doorway of the saloon and threw him out the door. I hope that you will not miss that image. Because there's this idea that in the invisible spiritual world, there's war going on. Nowhere in Scripture. There, nowhere in Scripture is there. Uh, no. There's loser B-team knuckleheads shaking their little tiny paws but there's no, there's no good power and bad power fighting each other and whoo, who's going to win? There's nothing, no, there's nothing like that in the Bible. That's absurd. Jesus himself says that he has authority over the nations. And if you just read the Bible from beginning to end, it is very obvious that Jesus Christ was in control. He was in control of Egypt. He was in control of the nations in Palestine. He was in control of uh, the Babylonians. He was in control of the Assyrians. He was in control of the Medes and the Persians. He was in control of Rome. And nothing's changed. Jesus himself said, I will come again one day and I will gather and judge the nations. I love that. I will gather and judge the nations. And in Isaiah, I think it's, what is it? Isaiah 5, Isaiah describes Jesus this way. He whistles and the nations come running. Like you'd whistle for a bird dog. He whistles and the nations come running. To the point of what Robin read uh, on lesser gods, it's, um, it's interesting that we hear this sort of authority, you would think it would be, and for many it is, so compelling that it, it's irresistible. But we lose our sight on lesser things. And then mm. when we do that, we make demands of that great God mm. that are not ours to make. Yes. And we can do it, but... You, if you don't do this, then I... There's a lot of that sort of thing yes. in human experience. Do you see as we go through this list, and literally the list could be 30 things, we, I think we've got 10 or 11. Do you see the longer we go through this list, how unlike all other heroes Jesus Christ is? 
What hero whistles and the nations come running like bird dogs? What hero does that? The Bible would also declare that Jesus had authority over the temple, which represented the religious system of Israel in Jesus' day. It's not by accident that you see Jesus at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry doing what? He walks into the temple and shuts it down like a bank on Sunday because he had authority over it. And he declared, if I want to tear this thing down, I will. And if I want to build it back, I will. He had authority over the religious system and the building that represented it. One you'll have to put on your thinking caps and go home and ponder. The Bible would declare that Jesus had authority over the sinful behavior of evil men. Here's what Peter said in Acts 4. Herod and Pilate, together with the Gentiles and the Jews, conspired against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed. They did, they did what your power and will decided. What a great verse. Why did Pilate do what he did? Because Jesus told him to. Why did Herod do what he did? Why did the Jews say crucify him rather than stone him? Because Jesus told them to. He had authority. That's exactly what Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 50. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yes, y'all chose to do wrong. But that was a part of the plan that my God, Yahweh, had decided long ago. The Bible would suggest that Jesus has authority over the future. How many times did Jesus tell people, this is what you're going to do before they did it. Peter, you're going to deny me. No, I won't. Oh, yes, you will. Judas, you're going to betray me. No, I won't. Yes, you will. How many times did Jesus tell people, I know what you're going to do before you do it. Great example. Jesus said before it happened, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to die. If anybody in Israel during the life of Jesus... If they were betting people, they would have bet the farm that if Jesus was going to die, he would have died by stoning, not by crucifixion. But Jesus said, I'm going to die by crucifixion. Guess how he died? By crucifixion. And he said when he would die during Passover. Do you remember the religious leaders? They all get together right before Passover and they say, this guy's got to die. But not during Passover week. That will create a, a, it's too risky. He cannot die. We're going to wait till after Passover, let things calm down, and then we'll take care of him. But Jesus had already said, I'm going to die as the Passover lamb during Passover. So when did he die? Exactly when Jesus said he would. And if that's not enough, these things were foretold hundreds and hundreds of years before that time. So Some of them thousands, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. And the resurrection. Before he 
Before the need arose for him to rise again, he predicted that he would. He has the authority to know, to determine, to declare the future. He has authority over broken hearts and messed up lives. Probably the most endearing of all to me. Acts 26, God tells the Apostle Paul, I'm going to use you, Paul, as my representative to open people's eyes and free them from satanic slavery and to give them lives that are sanctified and abundant. Anybody in your life? There's no way in the world that God could save them. There's no way in the world that God could redeem them. There's no way in the world that God could restore them. There's no way in the world that God could set them free. There's no way in the world that God could change their lives for good. Is there anyone in this room that would declare, there's no way in the world that God could set me free. There's no way in the world that God could save me. I've done too much. I've rejected too long. I've hurt too many. The Bible would declare that Jesus Christ has authority over all hearts, over all lives. In Jeremiah, what is it, 31? In Ezekiel, what is it, 33 maybe? What does he say? I can give you a new heart. Not, I want you to try real hard and change your heart. No, no, no. I will reach inside your life and remove your heart of stone and I'll replace it with a heart of flesh. I'll change your life. I'll give you a new life. And what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creation. I'm not just going to make you better or nicer. Or fix a few of your problems. I'm going to make you new. I have the authority and the power to do that. And the last one we'll focus on today. My favorite one was, he'll give us new hearts. The most important one in my opinion is that he has authority over death. John 10, Jesus declares, I give them, them being my disciples, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will take them from my hand. For my Father gave them to me and He is greater than all and no one can take them out of the hand of my Father. One of my favorite verses is in Hebrews chapter 2, I believe, where it says that Satan has held in bondage or slavery mankind forever because of their fear of death. Do you realize, do I realize, do I operate with an understanding that Jesus Christ has authority over death. Paul says in Romans 8, death cannot separate us from God's love or God's presence. There's this silly movie that I 
when I'm flipping through the channels at night, comes on pretty regularly. It's called Clash of the Titans. And it's a goofball movie, but I like it. And there's this, there's this monster that lives in the bottom of the sea. And at some point in the movie, Poseidon, the god of the ocean, wants to destroy this people group. And he says, release the kraken. And this thing rises up out of the ocean. It's like a small mountain. And it's going to destroy this city of people that Poseidon's mad at. And they're all, the people are running around in terror, screaming and hollering, begging and crying and hiding. And every time I watch that scene, my mind goes to, isn't that exactly like the world that we live in? We're big and bad and tough and bold and smart and skilled until we get the wrong phone call from the doctor. And then all of a sudden, we're running around like those people in that town. Screaming and hollering and hiding because we have been told we don't have long to live. The Bible would, re would reveal to us, declare to us, that Jesus Christ has authority over death and literally the ability to turn the worst thing of all into something good it's now just a doorway all death is is just a doorway that God uses to open up so that we can walk through and be with him in a better way Jesus Christ declares I have authority over death it is an important point of course it goes without saying that um not that Jesus and God need my affirmation. No. But um, no other God claims that. No, no. I mean, you know, so in the history of the gods of, of, of men and humanity, no other God can touch that. They don't even no. try no. to claim that. Who would have the audacity to declare that? Who would have the audacity to believe that? And yet that's the... God that the New Testament presents to us. So quickly, how should that impact you? Who cares? How, why, how should that impact me? Why should I care to be reminded today? And all week long for me as I've studied this, that the God of the New Testament that Jewish carpenter that walked around for 33 years claiming that he had all authority and acting like he had all authority. How should that impact me? And how should that impact you? Let me give you five quick ways that it's impacted me. Hopefully a lot, but at least a little. First of all, it impacts me with amazement. We should be amazed that the God of the New Testament, Jesus Christ, lived and claimed and was declared the possessor of all authority. I belong to someone who has all authority. 
And I think that when you, you mentioned it, uh, when the disciples, what was it in Luke? I think it was Luke 8. But where they, Jesus said, I am tired of these waves and this wind. Be still. And it was still. And the Bible says that the disciples were amazed. Are we amazed that the God that lives inside us has all authority over all of heaven and over all of earth? I think it should impact us with courage. My scary, terrifying, confusing, messed up world rests on the shoulders of the one who possesses all and absolute authority. Shouldn't that make us willing to be radical? Shouldn't that make us willing to take risk, to be fearless? Shouldn't, knowing that the God that lives in me possesses all authority over everything that I will ever encounter or experience, shouldn't that make me different when I face difficult or scary things? It should give us amazement. It should give us courage. It should make us confident in our prayers. That I'm not just talking to somebody who might help me, maybe, when I pray, when I got up this morning and I prayed for almost all of you by name, I was talking to somebody that is especially fond of me. And I was talking about some folks that he's especially fond of as well. And because I was talking to him, the one who possesses absolute authority over all, that makes a difference in what I say, what I ask for, what I beg God to do in your life and in my life. I think it ought to make us ashamed. How can we study about the authority of God and not be ashamed? I am so fragile, so fearful, so quick to whine, so quick to complain, so quick to run and hide. I hear of things that happen in my world and in my community, and I respond more often than not as if the God of the Bible, the God that lives in my life, has no authority. And I'm on... I'm. I'm going to get through this on my own or I'm not going to get through it. And then lastly, it ought to humble me. It ought to humble me that one with absolute authority has invited me to share in that authority. Larry, Fatty, Esther, I don't want to just possess all authority. I've got so much authority. I can, I've got such an abundance. I'll share it with you. And you can join me in ruling, in extending, in building, in restoring, in changing this world 
and the lives of people and the ushering in of my kingdom. Don't just live nice, boring, safe, blah, easy lives. You can do that, but what a waste. I want to share my authority with you so that you can have lives that matter. And when you die, the world will weep because you've made such an impact upon it. It should humble us. God, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. And Jesus says, I want it more than you do. Thank you. Anything you want to add, friend? Not one thing. Okay. Okay. Beck and Gail, you want to come up here and help me? Don and Kathy, you want to come up here and help me? Y'all stand on that side, right? Yeah, right. Come up, get those two deals right there and come up close and y'all do the same thing, please. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And before you come up, we had a great discussion Thursday night about this, about the Lord's Supper. By its design, God established something for us as His children to do when we gather together that was never designed to rush through. It was never designed to just do it out of habit. He, he created something for us to hold to taste, to smell, to see. And one of the major reasons that he created this is so that we could remember and hopefully give thanks for what he did for me and for you, but also we could declare to one another, Hey, Cleo! I know right now it's tough. But the God that these symbols represent, He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we, you know, we sing that in songs. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What does that mean? What are we saying? He has all authority. He has authority over all of the kings. He has authority over all of the lords. He's the one that possesses authority. That's what it means when we say he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And that should make a difference in our lives and in our future week. And so I just, I want you just to take a moment before you rush up here and take... Um, well, I've got bread right here for you, and then there's real juice there, or there's also those little packages if you'd rather take those. Um, before you come, though, just do we believe that the God that we claim as our Savior has all authority? Do I live like I believe that? How is that impacting my life, my day, my week, my relationships, my ability to endure, my ability not to run, my ability to take risk, to be radical, to be bold. 
Jesus says that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Take a moment and then come. Celebrate your Savior's body and blood.